0: Good morning, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, all right? Gospel of Luke, if you're our guest today, I just wanna echo what Ms. Kathy said, man, welcome to the family. We're so glad out of all the places you could be in the upstate of South Carolina Today you're with us, and if you're joining us online, you may be a college student on spring break. I know that uh, we've got uh, got a lot of colleges out, uh, maybe you're watching or on a family vacation, regardless, we're glad you're worshiping with us today as well. We've been in the, the gospel of Luke for two months. We've been walking through this gospel, which is, if uh, you're not familiar with the Bible, the, the, basically, it's the divided into two halves, Old Testament New Testament. The New Testament starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And so if you, if you don't have a copy of the Word, you can actually go and get a, a Bible out of the pew or even pull it up on your uh, app, Bible app, be great. Uh, no matter what, here's the deal. Anytime we listen to the Word and we hear somebody preach or teach the Bible, we need to have the Bible open and, uh, or, or up so that we can kind of uh, see for ourselves what... The Bible says. In particular today, we're going to be looking specifically at what Jesus said. Uh, so go ahead and look at Luke chapter 9 and Luke 14. We're going to be landing in Luke 14 eventually, starting in Luke chapter 9. And we're talking today about a pretty hard word, all right? So just go ahead and kind of brace yourselves and prepare. This is, this is from the mouth of Jesus himself. So it's not like we're making it more difficult than it is. It's just a, it's just a tough word. It's a, it's a tough message to hear and even tougher to actually internalize and live out. But I think it's an important word today because there's so many people are confused about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Christ follower. And there's so many different ways we say it. I think we confuse people sometimes because they may think, oh, well, be a Christian is one thing, and then be a a disciple is maybe another. To be a Christ follower, oh, that's like another whole level kind of thing. Uh, But it's not a video game, man, right? I mean, you know, you're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. And the Bible is pretty clear, uh, Jesus is pretty clear of his expectation of what it means to be a Christian. And so we're answering the question today, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? And by that, we mean, what does God expect of me? What does God expect out of me as a a follower or as a Christian? Now, here's the interesting thing. Most of the time, if we're honest, we ask this question, What do I want from God? We don't really ask the question, What does God want of me? Not, Not initially. Our flesh, kind of the human nature, is to go to God and ask for stuff. Like when we pray, it usually starts with, Give me. You know, it's like, We talk about the grocery list, you know? It's kind of like we have a lot of stuff that we want from God. And we live this life and it's our life and the North American culture has totally messed us up and has convinced us somehow we've married this American culture to a biblical Christianity and as a result, we've just got a mess sometimes. We misunderstand what Jesus actually wants from us. And so if you don't hear anything else, hear this today. If you're here and, and there's one of two extremes. Either you could be here and you're just like, Well, God loves, loves, loves me, and, and he just doesn't have an expectation. It's just like, hey, if you just show up and say you love me, that you're going to heaven. And that's that's complete heresy. All right. That's not what the Bible says. But then the other side is like this over-crazy, overwhelming expectation that takes what the Bible says and makes it harder. And it's like all this legalistic, crazy expectation that God didn't even have. And so there's like massive, two massive extremes. But here's the deal we've got to land on. There is a cost of discipleship. There is is a, a, a cost of grace. It was a cost we couldn't pay. It was a price we couldn't pay. There's no way I could have paid for the grace that God gave me. No way I could have paid for my being spared from hell, eternal condemnation, where I deserved, where you deserved. But God spared us or gave us an opportunity. I hope that you have embraced his grace. He gave you an opportunity. He is, He's paved the way for you to be a follower of his, for you to be a Christian. But he's not gonna force you to be a Christian. He's not gonna make you say yes. Let me say this. He's not going to make you follow him. He has led the way, and his invitation to you is to follow him. But here's the crazy thing. Look, this isn't going to be real popular. Nobody's going to want to say amen, you know, because this is like, this is tough. But you know where he went? If we're following him, he went to a cross, and he died. And so that's the weird thing about this American thing, this kind of the tendency to embrace a health-wealth prosperity the more you love Jesus the better your life's gonna be that's kind of an American false Christianity it's not true the Bible teaches us the more you follow Jesus the more you pay sometimes the more you actually are faithful to God the more struggle and suffering and pain you'll experience it doesn't mean you're gonna you're gonna be rich now, it doesn't mean you're going to be poor in this earth either. I mean, just because you got money doesn't mean you're uh, you're wrong or you've done something wrong, uh, but but that doesn't mean that somehow just because you're faithful to God, you're going to you're going to automatically have everything go well. So, what does He want? What does He want? Look at Luke chapter nine, verse twenty-three. We're going to kind of in Luke nine twenty-three, kind of see the framework of the message. We're going to really, I'll go and give you the three points right here in the passage, Luke nine twenty-three. Here's what. It says, And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And lot just left out a word. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses or forfeits himself? So here's what Jesus is saying. Following me will cost you something. In fact... Following me, Jesus says, costs you everything. And we're gonna see even more in Luke 14 that it gets really specific, gets really difficult. And so here's the thing: you may be here for the first time. I want you to understand, this is not gonna be an easy message, and I don't want you to feel like every Sunday we're gonna leave going like, whoa, good night. But you need to hear this probably if this is your first time ever being in a church and you've never heard the gospel you need to leave praise in God, you're gonna be given an opportunity to hear the most plain spoken words from Jesus' lips himself of what it means to actually be a Christian. And so it's in, a, in a weird way, you're, you're like, you've picked the best Sunday because you're gonna get it all at one time from Jesus himself. And so with all that in mind, here's the deal. What does God expect or what does God want from me? In Luke 14, if you'll turn over there with me real quickly, I want us to begin looking in verse 1, but I think the reason this is a good place to start is because even though we're not going to read word for word from verse 1, we're going to walk through the context and the story because I think we get super confused. Religious people get super confused, and and when religious people get confused, it confuses everybody who wishes they were religious, all right? Now, it's kind of weird. I know you're like, what? But here's the deal. Religious people automatically have their own expectations about what God expects of them. It's kind of real confusing, but we kind of frame our idea of what God expects of us. And they were no different 2,000 years ago. So depending on who you know, who, who goes to church or is, is a believer in God, they all think God expects something of them. And some people have a very, again, we talked about it. Saying a a very loose, low expectation in their mind. God doesn't expect much of us. But then the other side is like, God expects like, yeah, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I'm gonna add, like, he expects you to wear a dress to your toes and you know, whatever. I mean, you you just fill in the blanks. There's a million things that people have added to the Bible and said, these are are essential expectations, which you won't find anywhere in scripture. And, And Christians are really good at making stuff up. It's crazy. And so at the end of the day, what happens is religion gets it wrong. They misunderstand, misinterpret what Jesus expects of them. And then other people who are far away from God, then misunderstand what God expects because they're watching the wrong people. And so, so here's the deal. We want to hear from Jesus. So this this same thing was happening though, even in this time, because in verse one of chapter 14 of Luke, Jesus is at dinner in the house of a ruler of the Pharisees and, uh, and it says they were watching him carefully. I don't know if you've ever had like somebody staring at you, you know, you like walk in a restaurant or whatever and they're just like staring. Amy has this bad habit of like, if somebody has a conversation on the table next to, are some of you like this? She will like totally know what's going on. And I'll be talking to Amy and I'll, I'll say something to Amy and she's like, I'm sorry, babe. I'm, hold on one second. I'm afraid she's about to leave him. Wait, you know, and I am just like, she's totally invested in this other conversation. I had no idea. And, and so in, in a weird way, this is, Jesus is hanging out at dinner with some real people and they're religious people and everybody in the house is watching him. It's kind of weird. And they're giving him that staring thing. They're checking him out. They're evaluating every move. They're, they're like listening to every word. In a lot of ways, the religious people are always trying to trick Jesus, find some error in what he was saying, gonna to try to turn it around on him. And in this case in particular, usually they would ask him questions and try to stump him. But here in this story, there's a sick person that comes in. It says a sick man comes in and Jesus actually asked them a question. It's really cool because here's the question. Verse three, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? This is Jesus' question. Is it lawful? Is it okay for me to heal a sick person on the Sabbath? Interestingly enough, in verse four, they remained silent. They didn't even say nothing. They, and so as a result, nobody said anything. Jesus heals the boy, and then he asked them another question. And it's kind of this strange little question. He says, which of you who has a son or an ox fall in a well won't pull him out? And, and the whole thing is on the Sabbath. So in other words, if it's the Sabbath and you have an ox or a son, by the way, do do you read stuff in scripture sometimes and just think it's super funny and nobody else does? This is one of those times. I mean, an ox or a son. So if this dude has an ox and a son, maybe he was like saying, even if you don't like your son, your ox, right? Falls in a well. So it's like, so so one of the, surely I'm going to hit. So let's use multiple applications here. Jesus said, if you have an ox or a a son that falls in the well on the Sabbath, you're gonna rescue him because you care and, and, and it's important. You can't wait. And so his whole thing, he was trying to prove a point, but even when he asked them that, it says they still said nothing back to Jesus. Why would they think that it's wrong to do good on the Sabbath? Think about it. Why would it be wrong to do a good thing on God's day? It doesn't make any rational sense. Why would religious people think it's wrong to do good on God's day? Because what they did is they misunderstood God's expectations. They had taken the law, they had taken the rules, and they had manipulated the truth and made it harder than it was really supposed to be. You could go to Israel today, and if you're in in Israel on the Sabbath, if you're in Israel on Saturday, and you're staying in a hotel, there's what's called uh, the Sabbath elevator, and what it does is it never, it, 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 I'm sure it stops on, I started to say it never stops. It stops on every floor. And, the, and so if you're on like floor 10, bless your heart because you're going to stop at every level. And you may say, why do they do that on the Sabbath? It's so that you don't have to press a button. You know why? Because they be pressing the button is work. And so on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work. And, they, and so you're not supposed to press a button. And so the doors open automatically, you get on the floor. If you're on level 10, you like take a nap. And then when you get there, you get off, you know? And so it's weird, but what is that? That's a manipulation of the law. They are still twisting it and making it harder for themselves than really was intended. And so in this day, it was definitely no different. And so, so here's the thing we gotta remember. It's our tendency to create something from what God gives us, to, to do something different with the expectations that, that are clear, and usually we do one of two things. We minimize the expectations and make them less, or we amplify the expectations and make them too hard, more difficult to where nobody could actually obey. And so those, both of those extremes are wrong, but here's the deal. Here's what happens. Man-made religion is primarily concerned with what you're doing, no matter which one you are, no matter how extreme you go to one way or another, your liberalism or your legalism, either way, it's about doing or not doing. It's about, hey, doing that's not wrong or doing that's terrible. You're going to go to hell. So both are about doing. So man-made religion is primarily concerned with what you're doing. Jesus is concerned primarily with who you're following. Big difference. Big difference. And so when we understand that today, here's the the whole heart of it. We're going to hear Jesus answer the question, what does God want from me? But first, Scripture answers the question, what does God want for me? If you look at verses 7 through 24, there are actually two parables. And these two parables are called the, the parable of the wedding feast and the parable of the great banquet. Both of these parables teach the same basic lesson. And the whole lesson is this. What does God want for us? He wants us to understand and recognize we didn't deserve the grace that he gave us. The, the grace that God has given us is priceless, And so this parable is setting up the expectation. This parable is setting us up to hear the cost of discipleship, what it's going to cost you to be a follower of Jesus. But we've got to understand it in context. We've got to look through the lens of who Jesus is. We've got to hear the words of Jesus setting us up for it, because here's what he's saying. You've been invited to a wedding feast, verses 7 through 11. And this is a clear understanding of grace that produces this appreciation in our heart and our lives for being invited to a, a feast that we did not deserve to be invited to, all right? And so we're not even going to deal with the parable. I mean, that's, that's legitimately the point of the parable is that we have been invited to a feast that we did not deserve to be invited to, Uh, The great banquet, same kind of premise. He actually says, go out to the highways and the hedges. Call them all, come in. What is that? That's like saying, unworthy. None of us deserved it, yet God invited us to this feast, to this banquet, this salvation, this relationship with him. He invited us to something that we did not deserve. It's a huge deal. So what did God want for me? He wants me to embrace a grace I cannot possibly comprehend. I can't understand how God could love me enough to give me this grace that I did not deserve. And so verse 11 kind of puts it in perspective again for this American Christianity. We've got to really, we've got to really lean into the word and get away from ourselves and stop listening to really the voices that would tell us it's all about us because look, the gospel does not have you as the main character. The gospel is not the gospel of Wayne Bray. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the main character of the gospel. Jesus is the main character of Christianity. And if your Christianity, if your version of Christianity is all about you, you are not a follower of Jesus. If your Christianity is all about you being pleased, you getting stuff, him hearing your prayers and you having to do or give up nothing, if you don't have an understanding that when you came to Jesus, you actually left yourself, you actually left your sin, you turned from it, you turned to him, then look, you're, you're, you're following a fictitious plastic religion that is not found in the Bible. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a German theologian who was killed by Hitler in World War II. Pretty powerful dude who put his life where his mouth was He legitimately was willing to stand against the tyranny of a dictator who showed more hatred for the human race than any man perhaps ever. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He died in his 40s, by the way. He said, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We're fighting today for costly grace. So Wayne, if, okay, wait a minute, if we can't earn it, then how is it costly? Well, I know that we've heard this kind of thing if you've been in church a lot, you've heard it all your life, but look, it cost Jesus his life. We get that. We understand certainly that, that it was costly. It was costly, but it wasn't just costly in the sense that Jesus paid for our sin debt on the cross, but even our following Jesus costs us Something. Now, you may say, wait, I thought we didn't earn it. No, we don't. You couldn't earn it. Legitimately, if I piled, if you piled, if I piled every possession that we had in a massive pile, if I took every accomplishment, if you took every achievement, if you took everything that was good about you and your life and you put it in a massive pile, it would literally be like a grain of sand on the beach, Compared to what, what is necessary to pay our sin debt, we don't, have, we don't have anything to bring that would be valuable enough to pay the sin debt. But here's the deal. When we hear that kind of thing, it's almost like we just say, well, since I can't pay the debt, Jesus did. Hey, party time, right? We just got a grace card. We just do whatever we want to. Or we live this life. I mean, we only live once, man. So I'm just gonna live my life. I'm gonna do my deal. I'm gonna go to church because I'm a Christian. So I'm going to show up on Sunday, and I'm going to lift my hand, I'm going to praise Jesus, but I'm going to live for me. I'm going to keep doing my deal. I'm going to live my life because that's, that's what I've been taught. I mean, Jesus, the reason Jesus died on the cross is just so I could go to heaven. That's it, right? That's part of it, but don't miss, that's not all of it. And so just because you could never pay for your sin debt doesn't mean that discipleship doesn't cost us something and so this passage we're about to look at man it absolutely shows us the answer to the question what does God want from me look with me at Luke 14 25 Luke 14 25 and it says now a great crowd accompanied Jesus and he turned and he said to them he's speaking to the big crowd He's speaking to the Sunday morning group, man. He's speaking to not just the, the inner circle. He's speaking to everybody. There, there's people who, who aren't necessarily even real followers, don't necessarily even know who Jesus is yet. He's, they're checking him out, right? He's speaking to the crowd, and he says, he says to them, verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, he goes on to summarize it a little more. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Man, that just echoes Luke 9, 23, right? Same stuff. Whoever doesn't bear his own cross, come after me, cannot be my disciple. This is basically a a tool that Jesus is using in communication, hyperbole. So hyperbole is like an intentional exaggeration. It's important to kind of point out because I don't want anybody going home and saying, Jesus said, hate my mama. That's not... That's not what he means here, all right? That is, that is definitely the words. He says, unless you, you hate everyone else that's most important to you, you can't be my disciple. But he's using hyperbole, and he's, he's trying to get across the point that, and I know most of you are like, I know this already. Our, our love for him should be so great that in comparison to our love to everybody else, man, it, it should seem like hatred. That our our love, our best for, and here's the weird thing. He picked the people closest to you. I mean, he didn't say unless you hate your neighbor. He didn't say unless you hate that guy at work. You know what I'm saying? That guy. I mean, that would have been a little easier. He literally said, if unless your your love for your wife, unless your love for your kids, in comparison to your love for me, is like hate, then you can't follow me. This is like the expectation. This is what God wants of you. Is that you love him that much. Now, this is this is blowing our minds because we just don't we just can't fathom this. Not after we've heard, oh, I mean, I've had to just get in the pool, like go swimming and come to church on Sundays that I'm good, right? I'm a follower of Jesus. But no, it's more, it's a bigger deal than this. And he gives two illustrations, and this is why we have to we can't run from the idea of the cost of discipleship. Look at the two illustrations afterwards. He gives an illustration of a man building a tower. Then he gives an illustration of a king going to war. And so here in Luke 14, he's basically saying, look, you gotta, just like a man who builds a tower, he he has to think about it. He says, "What, what materials am I gonna have to have in order to finish this project? You know, there's a supply chain issue, so I've gotta really count the cost. I mean, right now, we know what counting the cost is. Inflation is absolutely absurd right now. And so groceries are costing you like 5 6% more. I mean, like if you bought a car a year ago, it's worth more now for some reason. It's weird, even with a bunch of miles. Even if you bought a house a year ago, it's worth more right now. Inflation's crazy. But what it means is when you're buying, you actually have to count the cost. You have to think about it. You have to say, okay, do I have, do, do I, do I, is the expense worth the benefit? Is the cost of this worth what I'm investing? That's kind of how we word it every every day. In fact, we can say it like this. Every decision costs someone something. Every single decision you make costs someone something. And and so with this, it's no different. We've been called to this discipleship, and it is a decision we make. It's not a decision, do I want to go get in a baptistry? It's not, and look, you may say, man, this is just super straightforward. It needs to be this straightforward because the worst thing I could do for somebody today is actually mislead you into thinking you're saved when you're not. The worst thing I could do if I didn't love and care for you is I could, I could just be easy believism and I could be cultural Christianity and I could say, hey, if you come to church and sing the songs and show up, you're good, man, you're good. I'm okay, you're okay. That's not what Jesus says in his word. That's not the cost of discipleship. Here's what he says in verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I want to share with you three things. We're going to kind of back up to Luke 9 and go through those three things real quickly. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and we're gonna talk about those three expectations that, that God has of us. And, and they're just right there in the scripture. Listen, here it is in verse 23. He wants you to deny yourself. This is not being a pastor. This is not being a deacon, a Sunday school teacher. It is, it is being a Christian. So if you were in my office and it was just me and you and you're like, you're like what's it, what does it take for me to become a christian this would be a passage be a great passage to turn to cuz this is what jesus is saying if you want to be a christian you can't become a christian and and not deny yourself here's the churchy word that everybody is somehow like allergic to but it's it's repent if you if you think somehow you want jesus without repentance then, then you don't know who Jesus is. Jesus is not begging you. This is, this is the, oh, it's so tough. Jesus was talking to a crowd and almost talking them out of following him. You ever think about this? He didn't have a consumeristic culture. Jesus wouldn't care if you liked the worship songs. Y'all all right? Jesus wasn't trying to tickle ears, man. Jesus wasn't trying to just get a crown and say, hey, we had 5,000 this week. (laughs) Put us on the top five list. Jesus was not trying to gain popularity from people who weren't willing to lay their lives down. That's not what Jesus was doing. But American Christianity has gotten so confused and the problem is this side wants to say all oh, the expectation of Jesus is not that tough. And this side is actually adding all kind of stuff and saying, well, if you, if you really love Jesus, you won't play that kind of music. Why don't we just listen to Jesus? Why don't we just follow Jesus? Why don't we stop serving ourselves See, American Christianity is very self-serving. We want this. What church I go to, got to have good kids' ministry. Got to have good kids' ministry. Want a, want a funny preacher. We got to have some of that. We got to think of all this. Got have, to have some good music. I want a worship leader with the hair like Wes. Got to have some spiky hair. You know, kind of, I like that kind of preacher. I, li- I like that kind, not preacher. I like that kind of worship leader. Got to have me a, a cool, cool worship. Look, it ain't about you. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. And at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think God's up in heaven go, I'm really glad they like Wayne today. That was a close one. That was good. Cause I was really hoping, I was hoping they'd leave thinking that was, that was a good experience. I hope they <laughs> liked me. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, leave yourself. You want to follow me? Go to the second thing. Let's just skip ahead. Die to yourself. You want to know what it takes to be a Christian? Oh, that's not what it takes to be a pastor. It's not what it takes to be a Sunday school teacher. It's not what it takes to be a missionary. This is what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. It's a synonymous phrase for Christian. Deny yourself. That means like, you know, you're following your life. You're doing your deal. You're, you're chasing your dreams. You're, you're doing what you want to do, which is at the end of the day, going to always be sin. We're serving ourselves, we're full of pride, we're full of greed. This is like the American dream on steroids and we've got to legitimately turn from that. This is repentance. We can't be a Christian without turning from that and turning to him. That's denying self. What's dying to yourself? What are you talking about? Taking up your cross. What do you think Jesus means by taking up your cross? Taking up your cross is not going to play board games with other Christians, right? Right? Taking up your cross is legitimately like laying your life down. And here's the interesting thing. Look, this is, again, I know, I I told you, if it's your first time, you're going to be like, ooh, fire hydrant, right? But here's the deal. Like, You're not going to find anything in Scripture about like a private crucifixion. There is no such thing as a private crucifixion. In Roman culture, when Jesus was crucified, they hung him publicly in shame, they didn't find a backyard so that nobody got to see it. No, they, the Roman culture, they wanted to scare you to death, man. They wanted you to know you didn't mess with Rome. So when they crucified you, they put, they put you on a public road, the, the, the main road, so that everyone, even traveling through, would be forced to look at, A, the shame of the one who's hanging on the cross, and the brutality, the brutality, of the Roman government. You don't mess with Rome. So it was was public, man. Crucifixion was in your face. In your face. And we think we should should be okay just coming to church on Sunday and and then like completely hiding our faith Monday through Saturday. There is no such thing as a private crucifixion. There's no such thing as a Christian who is a secret service Christian, right? It's like, I'm just, hey, I'm doing my deal. We don't, talk about, we don't talk about religion and politics. You ever heard that? Man, whoever said that the first time was dumb, right? We don't talk about religion and politics. Why, because people fight about it. And so somehow Christians heard people saying that and we don't, we, well, I shouldn't say that. When we have to choose, we talk about politics, but we hide our, our faith. Isn't that interesting? And the truth of the matter is, we should never have drugged Jesus into a category with politicians to begin with. If any Christian says we don't talk about religion, we just shouldn't talk about religion, you are not following Jesus the way you should. The fact of the matter is, Jesus said, when you follow me, you can't help but talk about him. Because he's changed your life, he's transformed you. You have denied yourself, you've actually died to yourself. You don't, it's not that you don't care about what other people think, but your decisions aren't based on if you're gonna win the vote and be popular. Your decisions aren't, aren't based on if you're gonna lose money in your business because you're, you're saying Jesus is Lord and he has a right to tell us what to do and what not to do. I mean, yeah, that, So hey, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna stay true. This is what a, a follower of Jesus says. You know what, I've, I've left all of those concerns about me and I'm gonna live for Jesus. And so we, we deny ourselves. This is the expectation of Jesus for all believers. Deny yourself, die to yourself. This is so tough, so hard to hear, but I want you to listen to this. Listen, it's the paradox of the gospel. The paradox of the gospel is that we gain by losing. And so when we lose ourselves to Jesus, we gain him. We literally gain a relationship with him. We turn away from all the trash. Paul said, all the stuff that I've lost, I counted as rubbish. I count it as like manure, trash, in relationship to knowing Jesus. And so at the end of the day, look, we gain by losing. Williams Borden once said, we don't need to try harder. We need to die more. And that is the challenge for every one of us, every Christian in this room, every born again child of God, is to be reminded that the call of discipleship is not a call to come to church. The call of discipleship is not a call to read a devotion book every morning. Should we do those things? Absolutely. The call of discipleship though, it costs more than that. Deny yourself, die to yourself. And then finally, he wants you to follow Jesus. If the first two were costs of discipleship, the last is the cause of discipleship. I would say, yes, the cost is great. We must deny ourselves and die to ourselves. And I've got to tell you, I, can I just be super transparent with you? When, when, when we're talking about reading this passage and preaching this message on a Sunday morning, I'm just telling you, in my flesh, I have to overcome the desire in my flesh not to preach so tough. You may say, what do you mean? Well, my tendency would be, I don't want, if this is somebody's first time ever coming to church or if this is somebody, maybe they're just checking the church out, you know? I don't want them to leave because we're being so, if I can't read the words of Jesus in church without apologizing, I have a major problem. Y'all all all right? Should I be concerned about you? If, If we're gonna apologize because of what Jesus says, We have a bigger problem with Christianity than the world does. We don't reluctantly follow him. We don't hesitantly die to ourselves. No, we just, we've got to lay our lives down. I'm not saying it's easy, but there's a reason he said, take up your cross daily. Because I'm telling you, man, can you, I want to be real. It's everyday decision for me man everyday Wayne shows back up and I've got to say God before you I, I, I'm sorry would you help me die to me would you help me take up my cross publicly because I know there's no private crucifixion God would you help me take up my cross publicly and here's the cool thing we gain by losing. When I lose my life, <laughs> I'm gonna gain life in you. God, would you help me live your life as I die to mine? Like I, I know if, if it's the first time you're hearing this stuff, it's like whoo, overwhelming. Listen, that's what it means to be a Christian. Is that your end? you're, you're at the end of you? You know, we say end of our rope, you're at the end of you you're like, I'm done, man, I'm done, I, I can't. I've tried to be the man, I've tried to be the woman, I need to, be, I can't do it, I'm so done. I would say you can't follow Jesus until you're done following you. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship. You could say Christianity without following Jesus is always Christianity without Christ. So our, our faith is not adding to scripture. It's not taking away from scripture, but it is, it is tough. It is deny yourself. Die to yourself. Follow Jesus, man. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, I'm serious. I'd stay here all day. If there were people, one time we had a message baptism and it was just like we had six or seven people after church who came down to talk about it and i want you to know during this song i'll be down here if, if you need to be saved you are the most important person in the room and i'm going to say this if you have other stuff to pray about i want you to come to the altar but i i've never said this i don't think it's 25 years of ministry but it, if you would let's let's say anybody coming to me this morning Let's let that be people who who are just like, I'm done. I need to be saved. I need to be saved. And if you don't get up in this song, but you go, "I I gotta make a decision. If you'll hang out after church and come down here, I will stay. I will stay and wait on you. I wanna talk to you because today's the day. Don't leave this place without making the decision to follow Jesus. Lord, we love you. God, I'm so grateful for you. You're so good to us. God, you give us grace that we can't deserve that we could never earn. You're just so awesome. But Lord, I hope and pray somehow that you'll clean up my mess. You'll help, you'll help us here by the power of the Holy Spirit that this isn't a cheap grace. It's a costly grace. God, you paid the price, but Lord, we've got we've to gotta give you everything. Our life is yours, God. God, would you speak to us? In Jesus' name.